Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, qué golazo. Magnífico. Gol. ¡Qué golazo de Bellerín! ¡Gol del Arsenal! ¡Gran gol de Bellerín 1-0! This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gun and Blog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a strange morning because things haven't been working according to plan from a technical point of view. The mm. system that we normally use to record the Arscast Extra uh, it doesn't seem to be working, so we're, we're kind of on Skype. We are. It's old school. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a bit like going back to driving your... Your old Ford Escort after you upgrade to a Lamborghini or something like that. Not that I have a Lamborghini. or <laughs> No, but I imagine that that's what that regression would feel like. Yeah, exactly. And there's also some noise issues. Uh, there's a, a lorry. It's, it's not the usual lorry. It's not the usual lorry. This run, instead of its sort of salutary beep, it's just in a steady growl outside the window. Right. What is going to happen when, when the real lorry comes along and finds that another lorry is in his space. Is there going to be a lorry off? I think so. All hell's going to break loose, yeah. Right. Uh, and it's a very narrow road, so that'll be interesting to observe. Yeah. Well, look, uh, lorry Stay tuned, wars. guys. Um, how, was, uh, how was your weekend? All that technical uh, hoo-ha aside, how was, uh, how was your weekend? It was good, thanks. I had the fire brigade come out here. That was exciting. Why? Well, it wasn't to my flat. Basically, I was... I was in my flat and I could hear, uh, hear, I could hear a, yes, I could hear. I that's, could, what you, that's that thing you do with your ears. Yeah, it goes in the ears and then, right. I could hear a fire alarm or smoke alarm going off and I left it for some time. I was like, well, don't worry about it. But after about 50 minutes or so, I thought I'd better go and check. That, but, that is, that's sufficient time for anybody affected by that alarm going off to be burned to a crisp. I mean, sure. what was your rationale there after 50 minutes? My rationale was that there has been a faulty alarm in the building recently, and I was like, well, it's just that one again. But then I suddenly thought, right, it hasn't turned off this time. But, I mean, it's too late, someone's probably dead, but I'm going to go and check, do the neighbourly thing. So I went round, and uh, I couldn't... There was no answer from the flat... But uh, I was banging on the door, no one in there. I was like, oh, shit, I have killed him. And just by, you know, my inaction. But there was a sort of smell, vague smell of burning. So I rang. I was like, is this an emergency? I was like, it probably is. So I rang, anyway, I rang the local police. I was like, they'll know what to do. And they said, uh, we're sending everyone. We're sending fire engines, police support. They kept asking me, is he in there? And I was like, I don't even know who he is. I have no idea. Um, and they just said, is he in there? We've got to get him out. So they all turned up, knocked the door down. They knocked the door down? 
Yeah, yeah, very. Wow. I mean, I mean, I haven't owned up to him that it was me who made this call. But anyway, <laughs> they, they knocked the door down and it transpired the flat was empty but had a pan on the hob or whatever just that was still on. Ah. So, it, so it was a fire risk, but there was no fire. Um, anyway, he then emerged from another flat with a sort of scantily clad woman saying that he'd been busy helping her move some furniture. <laughs> there, there's a euphemism on our Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or move some furniture. I know, I mean, I was like, you must have been pretty busy to have not thought, shall I check on my flat or shall I just let it burn down? Mm. Um, so there you go. So that was my weekend excitement. How's your weekend? Well, not, not anywhere near as exciting as that, to be honest. I it wonder, was, was great. That John? I wonder, was it John Yeah, from last week? <laughs> it could well have been. It could well have been his dilemma. Um, but I... Basically, when the when all the fire brigade came and things like that, I I didn't want to sort of be like, guys, I'm I'm the one, I'm the one who came and got them to knock the door down. So I was sort of wandering around like in disguise, pretending to be a <laughs> pretending to be a passerby, just like so idling up to a fireman and going like, everything all right, mate? Uh, fire or you know, just trying to trying to find out what's going on without giving yeah. away my role. What could be what could be happening here? I certainly have no part to play in this. It was very much that vibe. I even had a hood up. It was. Uh, well, that's not suspicious at all. I mean, round my way, it's just uniform, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, so that was that was exciting. But that really uh, was yeah. As as was Wembley. Was Wembley exciting though? Was it, it was? I tell you why. Go on. Because I was in the press seats, and at a, a, an unspecified point in the game, a woman came round with a tray of sausage rolls. Now, try telling me that's not exciting. Look. The life of a writer is a, <laughs> had, is a difficult one at the best of times. There was ketchup, there was mustard. I don't it, like ketchup on sausage rolls. I don't either, to be honest. I just like the sausage roll kind of... I, I prefer them cold as well to hot. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, well, you would have been furious. You would have pushed oh. this woman's tray up in the air and stormed out of Wembley. How dare you heat these things through? Yeah, so it's it's no longer the prawn sandwich brigade. It's the it's the warm sausage roll with mustard brigade. Right. Well, that, um, that was pretty exciting. I, I but, guess more exciting than the football to a certain extent. What is it about Arsenal and Wembley recently? I mean, do we do we love it so much that we just want to stay out on the pitch as, as long as we possibly can? <laughs> I don't know. Or do we sort of hate it so much that we can never really play particularly well? Um, Community Shield aside, where we were pretty good. Mm. But, yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I think I said before the game, you know, if, if this match is anything like the last semi-final, it'll be hellish. But it shouldn't be. And yet, it was. Yes. Uh, we made very, very hard work of it. And Reading, you know, really overperformed, I think, against expectations. I thought they, you know, they could, without wanting to be too patronising, they could be very proud of what they did out there. And, and Arsenal really struggled for any kind of fluency. Yeah, that is that is very true. I mean, I thought having scored relatively uh, uh, shortly before the halftime break that we might then go on in the second half and kick on. But, mm. you know, Reading came out, they played very well. I think I remember writing something on the live blog in the, in the opening minutes of the second half that this was a, a good spell from Reading, a bright start to the half for them. And then, bam, they, they score a goal. And, you know, it was... <sighs> 
I think Arsenal did more than enough to win overall when you look at it in in, in general terms. You know, hitting the post. Ramsey uh, should have scored that one in fairness. There were other chances. Keeper made a brilliant save from from Gabriel. Uh, that header was, was a fantastic save. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there were moments where it was, I won't say touch and go, but a better team perhaps with better quality players could probably have done us a bit more damage. Yeah, there were a couple of sort of breaks where they had kind of two on two or two on three, you know, something like that. And and mm. I think on both occasions it was Pavel Pogrebniak or whatever it is. That was close enough. It is, yeah. Charging Pogrebniak, yeah. charging at our defence with the ball. And you kind of feel that, you know, you were kind of glad it was him. You know, he didn't necessarily have the pace to go beyond his man mm. or the wherewithal to pick the right pass. But had they taken better advantage of those opportunities, we would have been in big, big trouble. And I think from about from about the sort of 70-minute mark, really, it felt like the game could go either way. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is kind of terrifying on it, reflection. It is, but then it's also a semi-final. There's an element of pressure and expectation. Um, you know, we're doing just enough in these semi-finals to warrant the, the, the tag of favourites and to mm. deal with that pressure and expectation. But, you know, I think we spoke uh, in the Arscast on Friday with, with Andrew and Gunnar Hollick about how it felt different this year, that the pressure that was evident last season, um, because so much hinged on the semi-final and so much hinged on us finally winning a trophy after the title campaign uh, stuttered to a halt, that you thought, well, look, this season is going to be a bit different because, well, we're going to go there. We've won the FA Cup. We're in great form. Uh, we've won eight out of eight, um, playing very well. We've just smashed Liverpool 4-1, um, even though we were a little bit more, um, uh, found it a bit more difficult against Burnley, but that was away from home on a not such a good pitch. And look, here we are in London, and look, it's going to be, it's going to be on, and it was a bit more of the same. So I think po- possibly there was something of the occasion that that played a part in that. How much do you think the team changes imbalanced us or or contributed to the to the lack of performance? Because I thought, and I mentioned it on the blog, that I thought he might make the changes, the exact changes that he made with Debussy and Gibbs coming in and Welbeck coming in, because. Um, it felt like it wouldn't necessarily imbalance us that much, but I, I thought they, uh, those decisions played a big part in our performance. Yeah, I think we talked about it last week, and we sort of decided that you know those were the areas where rotation was possible, with the exception of the goalkeeper, because they allowed you to retain you know the central midfield, the hub of the side. It shouldn't. It didn't seem like it'd be a massive problem. I think. I think it was. I think we looked a long way off what we have been in this recent run and I, I, I'm a fan of Danny Welbeck but I think a lot of that was to do with the exclusion of Olivier Giroud I think that the team have become very accustomed to playing with him as centre forward mm. he enables you to do certain things you know play certain passes into feet into his chest uh, which which Welbeck doesn't necessarily offer Welbeck's a guy he showed it in the first couple of minutes of the game who wants to run in behind wants to go through and on goal you know, race central defenders one-on-one, yeah. which Giroud doesn't do. And so I kind of felt like the likes of Ozil, Cazorla, Ramsey have developed this style of play with Giroud as a, f- a focal point and a fulcrum to operate around. When you took him out, it, it felt like there was indecision and, and lack of clarity about what our attacking plan was. And uh, that's actually not so much a, a criticism of Welbeck. I just think he's a 
a different style of striker and we didn't necessarily seem to know what to do with it. Yeah, he did drop quite deep though, didn't he? I mean, for a guy that you want playing on the shoulder of the defenders, he, he tended to drop quite deep and wide yeah. at times and I wonder whether that was part of the instruction or whether it was just him looking to get involved which then contributed to the lack of to the lack of definitive attacking I think, shape. I think that that is something he habitually does and actually when he, we've been at our best with him at the centre forward probably was when we had Alexis behind him who was a guy who's prepared to run beyond him when he does that mm. and we didn't necessarily have that on Saturday so when he did drop into those wide areas or into midfield we lacked that focal point up front and as soon as Giroud came on you saw a massive difference I think in, in the way we went about the game he is one fucking sexy bastard on the pitch <laughs> at the moment isn't he the <laughs> yeah he is he was just outstanding because even later on I think it was as uh, the second half of injury time was was coming into the final minutes there were a couple of times where he just held the ball up over on the right hand side you know uh, held off a couple of defenders made a simple pass and that's that's the kind of thing that you want uh, that player to do in those circumstances it was exactly what you want him to do there's like I don't know whether um whether it's a maturity thing, but there seems to be a more more intelligence to his play mm. uh, at the moment. Uh, well, um, I think confidence as well, obviously. Yeah. That's a massive factor. But, yeah, you know, I think we obsess that players sort of... Players uh, improve until they're about 25 and then they stay the same. And Giroud is someone who constantly disproves that because, because he's not a guy who's reliant on pace. The, the mental aspect of his game is always progressing it seems and you've got to give him enormous credit for that mm. I thought I mean, I mean he's obviously been a massive player for us this season and if he played like this across the whole campaign he'd, he'd be a contender for our player of the season Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah the, the difference he made was massive and I just feel that the way we're set up is kind of dependent on him being mm. that, that sort of number nine figure at the moment mm. OK so two goals for Alexis Sanchez yeah um, I mean Record books will show that he's a guy who got us two goals in a semi-final to take us through to the final. I mean, I don't think it was his best performance by any means, but then that's uh, that's neither here nor there when he when he when he's got that amount of end product. No, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it doesn't sort of surprise you that it was him who stepped up and got the goals. And mm. uh, the first one I thought was really well taken. I have to say that little shimmy inside the box. Oh, the pass though, the pass. Obviously, a hell of a pass. I think. I'm right in saying that I think there were nine defenders behind the ball when Ozil made that pass, and yet he managed to pick out, you know, the one Arsenal guy in the small, you know, corner. It's, it's of space. interesting, though, isn't it? Because do you remember when we did the Arscast Extra live, and we yeah. were talking with Philippe and Amy about um, uh, the relationships that players have on the pitch? That the Perez knew where Henri was going to be. Henri knew where Bergkamp was going to be. Uh, Bergkamp knew what Jumberg was going to do in terms mm -hmm. of the runs. Because when you look at a still of that um, that shot just before he makes the pass, he obviously knows that Alexis is going to make a run into that area. Mm -hmm. So whatever about the, the, the sheer skill of being able to put that ball in exactly the right place, the fact that he knew he was going to do it I think is really interesting because it speaks to a development of the relationship between the two of them because, you know, they really only have been playing together for a few months because um, uh, Ozil spent so much time out injured. Um, at the start of the season, you know, they were uh, they were trying to find a way perhaps to play together, but that 
is an illustration that, right, look, this is a, a relationship that's really developing in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, I forget the word Murtzaki used. Was it automatism, something That's like it, that? That's it, yeah. That kind of synchronicity and understanding between players that is so important, and I think that has been developing in the side in recent weeks, and maybe by changing the fullbacks, you know, we, we robbed ourselves of some of that. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, an incredible pass, an incredible uh, moment of magic from Ozil. Brilliant to see him do it on a big stage like that. And, yeah, Alexis, you know, both the goals, and I think... It was it was a little bit like those games at the start of the season where Arsenal didn't play particularly well, but were bailed out by, you know, moments of individual skill from him. I think mm. it, it reminded me of those those winter months, to be honest with you. And uh, it's good that he's coming back into goal scoring form because we've got a big six weeks ahead of us now. You sure do. Uh, great stat from Orbino this morning. Mesut Ozil created nine chances on Saturday, which is the most in an FA Cup game this season, beating his own season high of eight versus Middlesbrough. I mean, he set, the, set up the chance for Ramsey to hit the post, the chances for Gabriel. His set-piece delivery was absolutely superb. Mm. Um, Gabriel, interesting that he, he seems to be quite a, an attacking guy when he gets into the box, uh, which, is, which is a nice thing to have. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think Giroud hit the post as well late on. So uh, fine stuff from Mesut Ozil. Any sympathy for Adam Federici? I'll be honest, I do have a little bit. I did feel for him because I thought he had a really good game and made uh, a couple of excellent saves. Mm. But, you know, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, primarily my emotion, my emotion was one of relief. I think that <laughs> the, the sympathy is sort of, you know, an afterthought for me. What about you? Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, he's, he doesn't seem like a bad guy or anything like that. And he did play very, very well. I thought the save from Gabriel the header was, was excellent. Yeah, it's a great uh, save. The early save from Murtisacker was pretty good as well. Um, but, you know, look, shit happens. It's football. Um, uh, obviously, there are players and goalkeepers who I prefer to see that happen to. But in the circumstances of an FA Cup semi-final, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. We know it's heartbreaking. We've been there. We've seen goalkeeping errors in the past that have cost us trophies. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really not very nice. But, you know... Um, my sympathy is not going to do him any good whatsoever, so I won't waste my time. What did you uh, just sort of thought on the game? What do you what do you make of the continued use of Aaron Ramsey on the right hand side of midfield? How do you think that's working out for the team? Um, I don't think it worked particularly well with um, with Debushi. Right, and maybe Ramsey and. Um, Bellerin works quite well together. I, I don't know if Debushi had the energy to compliment Ramsey, but I don't think Ramsey played particularly well. Um, you know, he, he's asked to do a job out there. I don't think he really enjoys it. I mean, he said on TV last week that he doesn't enjoy it terribly, but he, he'll do the job because that's what he's that's what he's asked to do. And I think maybe when you play really well, when the team plays really well, it, it's not so much an issue. But when it doesn't perform or it doesn't quite click then you've got to look at it as part of the reason uh, why um, I, I guess interesting that he gave Theo Walcott a little bit of a run out yeah it was actually because we got ourselves into a position whereby I wasn't sure if we would use that third sub because we had Debushi on the field playing yeah. his first game back and we were looking at 120 minutes so I wondered if he would have to be the guy to come off at some stage but uh, Walcott got on and you know had a couple of decent runs and um, but I, I wondered with Ramsey, I just felt against a very packed defence, you know, his inclination's always going to be to drive in field. And without 
Bellerin on the on the right hand side to offer that width. I thought it made us a bit narrow at times. Yeah. So that's be interesting to see what happens with that going forward because he did well in that position against Liverpool. So it's horses for courses, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, of course, then the final is going to be against Aston Villa rather than than Liverpool. Yes. Of course, the whole story was about how the, the final was taking place on Stevie G's birthday. Mm. And uh, this would be his final game for Liverpool after an illustrious career. But uh, once again, Liverpool slipped up and um, it's going to be Villa in the final. What do you reckon? I mean, I'm glad we've avoided that whole circus, to be honest. I think had it an Arsenal-Liverpool final would have been a, a glamorous occasion, no doubt about it. But I feel it would have been really overtaken and overshadowed by this this Gerard thing and mm. I saw a couple of people saying on Twitter they worried that you know a referee could get caught up in the sentiment of that and I, you know you do worry a little bit about that kind of thing so I also think Villa are you know if we could pick our opposition despite the fact we battered Liverpool 4-1 the other day I think Villa is a kind of better draw for us you know they're a team in the lower reaches of the Premier League table who Arsenal will be firm favourites against. So I'm happy with it. What about you? Well, I, yeah, uh, from a, a basic point of view, I'm happier because I think Liverpool have more quality overall than Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of the fact that we beat them the other week, I just think they've got better players and they're, therefore it would be more difficult to win the Cup uh, against them. And, yeah, I think we're favourites. Uh, but, you know, having been here last year, having done it the way that we did it, you can't take anything for granted um, no. you know it is a final that's a bigger occasion than the semi-final and the semi-final seemed to cause us a little bit of um, a little bit of angst or a little bit of nervous or jitters or whatever it might be so I think that's going to be true uh, for the final Villa will go into it as complete underdogs with nothing to lose um, and, and Tim Sherwood will obviously uh, hammer that home into his team uh, that they they really have got nothing to lose and they can they can have a good go so uh, it'll be interesting to see to see how it plays out. But yeah, I'd rather play I'd rather play Villa than Liverpool. That is true. Although the thought of losing to Tim Sherwood really is too much for me to contemplate. Even mm. so, uh, in some ways, it becomes you know the stakes are raised even higher. I think lo- losing to him would be God a real low point for me as a fan. <laughs> you really don't like Tim Sherwood, do you? I really don't. But through grit and teeth, I must say, I think he's done it decent job of revitalising Aston Villa I didn't think, I thought there was a really high chance they'd go down but he's breathed new life into them and, and Christian Benteke is playing extremely well so they'll, they'll offer the threat there's no doubt about that yeah. but uh, hopefully, I mean Arsene Wenger versus Tim Sherwood, surely, surely there'll be only one winner I'm, t- I'm touching all the available wood in my house I thought you were going to say touching cloth <laughs> <laughs> maybe that as well All right, we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back with part two and your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. Part two is where we answer the questions that you sent to us uh, by Twitter, at Arsblog and at Gunnerblog. And thank you, as always, for the questions. What I would say is that if you are thinking of submitting a question, we do get quite a number that are, are similar because there are various themes and topics that are... Um, uh, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Hot. Hot, hot topics. Yes, hot topics. And they're, they're the, the, it's the shit that's going on. But, you know, lots of people sort of come in with the same stuff. So... By all means, get creative with your questions because we do like those. 
We do. We do like those questions. So, um, so yeah, without further ado then, let's have the first question and, and you can go for it, James. Okay, well, this one is from Dev Guna, at Dev Guna. But to be honest, it's, on a th- it's one of those hot themes that we had about a million questions on. So apologies if we didn't use yours. He asks, is how he puts it, was Chesney really at fault for Reading's goal or is the reaction more associated with the negativity surrounding him? I think he was a little bit at fault. Yeah, you would have expected him to do better, um, even though the ball did take a deflection. I think that played a part. Uh, Maybe he was a little bit slow to react. And I think he looks like a player who is not feeling it, if you get me. Mm -hmm. The the self-confidence that he has looks to have taken a real blow. Um, I don't know if that's just nerves, if he's finding it difficult to cope without playing regularly or life out of the team. Maybe he, he's, uh, he's unhappy with his situation. I don't know what it is. I thought, he was, I thought he was pretty okay for the most part. I thought some of his punching and his, his, uh, his stuff from, from crosses and set pieces was really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, he got good distance on them, uh, made a couple of good saves. But, you know, there's a, a jitteriness to him at the moment. Um, which you could put down to any number of factors. Um, I think what what he really needed was a completely 100% assured performance, not just for his own future, but just probably for his own peace of mind or his own confidence. And he didn't get that, you know. Um, I thought the defending leading up to the to their goal was poor in general. Um, and the deflection did play a part, but when it sort of bounced up at him, I thought maybe he could have done a bit better. What did you think? I think it's tough. I mean, it's only sort of, what was it, seven or eight yards out, and it, it does take a nick off Kieran Gibbs. I mean, maybe could have clawed it away, but I mm. think it's... I don't think it was a huge error by any stretch of imagination. I think had he kept it out, it would have been one hell of a save. Is it, is it the kind of error... Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually, that it would have been... People would have been talking about it being a great save, but is it the kind of thing that tends to happen to a player in those circumstances? Maybe you know yeah. it seems it seemed almost self fulfilling uh, self fulfilling pro- prophecy that I should you know wash my mouth out and try learn to speak but <laughs> um, you know one of those things that when a player is going through that run of form it seems almost inevitable that something like that will happen. Maybe I mean the reason I like this question as well is because I think that it touches on our perception of a player and you know if a, if a player who's in favour makes a mistake, it's kind of seen as being as unlucky. And if a player's out of favour makes an error, it's, you know, it's proof of their ineptitude. Mm. I um, I thought Chesney did all right. I didn't think he was great. I didn't think he was, you know, he certainly didn't do enough to threaten David Espina's place in the Premier League based on that one performance. Mm-hmm. Um, which I suppose begs the question, I mean, a lot of people ask this as well, assuming that he won't play between now and the final, Let's have the first round of which goalie should play the final. Who yeah. do you think's in, in pole position to well, start that game? I, I had this question next from uh, Tim on. Hardwick at Barcelona, And, of course, many other people have asked this question. Which keeper would you play in the final? He says, for me, Ospina all day. Um, my thought on it is very similar to the thought on it that I had last season. That when you're in a cup final, you play your best team. Mm. Um 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I thought Wojciech Szczesny should have played in the cup final last season. I suppose there's a slight difference this time around in that Fabianski played a big part in in getting us there um, with a penalty shootout. And I thought he was very good maybe in the game against, was it against Liverpool? He made some really good saves uh, yeah. in that game. Uh, this time around, you wouldn't say that Chesney's performances in the FA Cup have contributed hugely to us getting to the final. But ultimately, my my belief in this regardless of my own preference for the goalkeeper, is that if you're in a cup final, you want to play your best team to give yourself the best chance of winning the game. If David Ospina is playing week in, week out for Arsenal and performing well and keeping Wojciech Szczesny out of the team on a weekly basis in the Premier League, then he should play in the cup final because that is the goalkeeper that will give us the best chance of winning the game. Simple as that. So, as last season... I think I agreed with you on this, and, and that was my take too. So I suppose my follow-up question would be, having set that precedent by playing Fabianski ahead of Chesney last year, even though Fabianski's future lay elsewhere, do you see Wenger changing that policy in order to keep Ospina in the side for the final against Aston Villa? No. No, me neither. No. I think he's he set a precedent last season... That meant. That means now that well, I don't know. It all depends. Maybe he was just really confident in Fabianski. Maybe he saw Fabianski as a kind of a good look charm in a way because he played so well in the rounds, you know. But I think he he's. It's a it's a weird one because Chesney could go in the summer. We could be yeah. in exactly the same position where we're playing a goalkeeper in a final whose future is not at Arsenal. And I know people might say, well, look, that's. It's kind of ridiculous. But I think you've got to trust in the professionalism of the players. That when you're in a cup final, all you're focused on and all you're interested in is the cup final. It's not going to make you, or the fact that you might be going somewhere else won't be won't be part of it. Well, perhaps especially if you missed out last year. Yeah. Be more focused than anyone. I, I do wonder, I mean, talking about that and looking at last year and examining that decision to play Fabianski ahead of Chesney, do you think... There was something in that at that time. Do you think that was a foreshadowing of Chesney's eventual demotion? The no. Fact that, no, you don't think it was. A, there was any doubt about him in, on that occasion? I don't think there was doubt about him. I think he just said, I've played Fabianski in the cup every round and we're in the final, so I'll, I'll stick with him. 
He clearly mm. thought Chesney was a better goalkeeper because he played him every week in the Premier League. What you might ask is whether or not that decision to play Fabianski in the final ahead of Chesney has, I won't say annoyed Chesney, but whether that you know has caused him to be um, a bit cheesed off or whatever. I mean, he looks happy on the day and everything else. But, you know, when you're the number one goalkeeper at a club and the club has reached its first final in however many years and it's won its first trophy in however many years, do you really feel part of it if you've sat on the bench? You know, that's not to say he wouldn't be delighted, of course, and he is, and he's a, he's been at Arsenal since he was 15, so uh, he, he's got a real connection with the club. So, of course, he'd be happy and his teammates, um, he'd share in that with them, but he surely would have preferred to play and would have thought, perhaps, as the number one goalkeeper in a final, you know, that would be the, the decision. So whether that's had an impact on his outlook or attitude or anything like that, I don't know. But, you, you know, it's a, it's a question worth asking. Yeah, I mean, the other thing to say is, as I remember it, the decision to play Fabianski on the day certainly didn't look like a masterstroke you know, 10 minutes into the game when no. defensively we were all at sea. And I remember him late on charging out of his goal as well in a real heart in mouth moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, despite the fact that we won, the selection of Fabianski wasn't necessarily a roaring success. No, and, and especially when you consider that we played Hull a few weeks before and in the first 10, 15 minutes of that game, uh, at their place, they were quite threatening from a number of set pieces and corners. And the way that we dealt with that was with our goalkeeper, that Chesney was very good that day, mm. really solid, came and caught and punched and got rid of all these uh, these high balls into the box. Uh, and that was, where we, that was where we fell down in the final. You know, yeah. the, 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 um, the set pieces and crosses were what cost us. Um, so, yeah. Look, it's it's all water under the bridge at this stage, and obviously uh, it's great because we won. But look, I think this is going to be one of those that people are going to talk about, and everyone's going to have a, an opinion about whether it should be Chesney or or Ospina. I think most people would suggest at this moment in time, given the form, that Ospina is the obvious choice, which is probably why it'll be Chesney. Yeah, I mean, it's going to run and run. We've got six weeks for, for David Ospina to potentially fall from favour, make a couple of errors and see people clamouring for Chesney again or not. Who knows? Mm. One thing I would say is I, I still think Chesney's a better goalkeeper than Fabianski. So whichever one we go in with, I think we'll be in a stronger position than last year. But it will be very interesting, especially if, you know, Fabianski left the club on very good terms. But I think if Chesney is angling for a move away in the summer, that the relationship between him and the club might not be quite as mm. nice, let's say. So will that influence Wenger's decision? It's definitely one that I'm sure will come up plenty in the weeks to come. No doubt. All right. OK, here's a, here's a question. This is from Hazuki-san. At mm-hmm. Hazuki-san. And he says, is Debushi's experience or Bellerin's speed and danger going forward more valuable against Chelsea? It's a really good question. I So I thought Debussy looked very rusty, I have to say. Understandably so. He's been out a long time. But if you look at the Reading goal, for example, it, it came down that flank, didn't it? Mm. The cross came in from that side. And I think he'll have been disappointed to have let, I think it was Pog Remniak, get that ball into the box. Um, I, I think Arsene prefers Debussy. It sees him as the senior man, the man in possession of the position, really. But... Seeing how rusty he was against Reading, I would definitely have some hesitation throwing him into the side. On the other 
on the, the counter to that is that if you look at who Chelsea's left winger is, it's possibly the best football player in the country in Eden Hazard. Mm. Would he be a very sore test for Bellerin? I suspect so. I mean, Bellerin coped quite well with, uh, you know, Raheem Sterling the other week, but did end up conceding that penalty to a little bit of trickery. And Hazard's definitely someone who's got the potential to do that to him again. So it's a very close call. I'd probably say on recent form, I'd, I'd probably go for Bellerin. Um, but maybe the absence of, of Mertesacker, if he's not playing on that side of the defence, might push Arsenal to go with a bit more experience. Mm. What, what would your opinion be? I think the reason he picked Debushi, uh, aside from whatever little ankle problem Bellerin has got at the moment, I think I think the reason he picked him for the semi-final was to to give him some match sharpness mm. uh, ahead of the ahead of the Chelsea game. Uh, and unless he suffered some really ill effects physically of doing 120 minutes after being out for so long, um, then I think he I think he'll start. Uh, against Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, there are pros and cons, obviously. Uh, Bellerin is, is quicker, could possibly cope with Hazard's pace better. Um, I'm not sure how quick Debussy is, really. He doesn't strike me as that that quick. He always looks, maybe it's just me, but he looks kind of um, heavy-footed or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's one of those players who, it seems like his legs have to move a lot for him to, to travel. Yeah. If that makes any sense, yeah. Um, but then maybe we've we've not really seen him at peak physical uh, fitness mm. because he was out early in the season with the ankle problem. Uh, he came back, looked a little bit heavy legged at times, and then got injured again. So it's it's hard to make any kind of definitive judgment. But I do think that he'll look at Debussy as the number one right back, and maybe against a team like Chelsea, he'll. I think he'll err on the side of solidity. Um, ahead of what Bellerin might give us a bit further forward. Yeah, I think I think that's possible. I, I, let's hope that those. I mean, those 120 minutes will have done him so some good, assuming that there were no repercussions for him. Yeah. Uh, I suppose we we forget as well that they're doing a lot of physical uh, intensive training. Uh, you know, on the training ground. It's not as if this is the first time he's ever had a run. You yeah. Know. So, what did you make of Kieran Gibbs on the other side? Poor, yeah, really not surprisingly poor. To be honest, um, there was a moment I think in the oh, can't remember which half, second half maybe, mm. um, where like he'd given the ball away a couple of times, and then and then you're looking for him to provide an outlet for the for the centre half. Could have been Koscielny picked up the ball, and Gibbs is standing like a head of the Reading player, like way up on the left-hand side. And mm. I think it was Ozil or, or Alexis who dropped back in to to pick up the ball. Um, now, I don't know if that's instructions that Gibbs was operating under, but it, it just reminded me a little bit of some of the stuff that Walcott does sometimes, that he's there, but he surrounds himself with players so he's not an option, you know. And I think yeah. that's down to lack of confidence as much as anything else from Gibbs. Um, he's clearly lost his place as the number one right back to Nacho Monreal. And that's a bit of a turn up given the way the season started. Um, he hasn't played for a month, so there's a little bit of an excuse there. But when you are in that position, when you haven't played for a month and you're given a chance, 
you know, this is your this is your time to to really step up and remind the manager of what you can do. And I don't think he did that at all. No, I don't think so either. And uh, yeah, I think rustiness is kind of valid. I think it was his first start since kind of the beginning of March. So that explains it a bit. But Monreal would be very secure in his position. I don't think there's any doubt about who will play against Chelsea. Mm. Um, another question. This is from Adam G. Becker. And he asks, has Alexis's season been what you expected? Did you realise he was going to be this good? Not sure it was a case of realising. I was hoping. Because yeah, there, are sure. all, there are all these factors that you have to take into account is a player coming to a new club, relationships on the pitch that we've spoken about um, earlier on, new language, new culture, new lifestyle. Certainly there's a big difference between living in, in Barcelona and living in London, mm. even from a climate point of view. You know, there are th- so many things that um, that can weigh on a player's form and fitness and outlook and mindset and confidence and all those kind of things but at the same time you know he he I think it was obvious fairly early on that he's a guy who just loves playing football and I don't think that he lets anything get in the way of that so that made it easier for him to to settle in I mean 22 goals I had to write something for ESPN last week about Alexis and whether he should be up there for player of the season and I think he should be um but they were one of the questions was where do you put him in terms of you know first seasons at a club in comparison to to Henri comparison to Bergkamp etc cetera, etc cetera. those kind of um, comparisons are, are mm. obviously quite spurious but Henri scored 26 goals in his first season at Arsenal I think Bergkamp scored 11 maybe something 11 right. 12 something like that so he's got 22 we've got six games left to play plus an FA Cup final it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could outdo what Thierry Henry did in his first season of the club, which would be absolutely fantastic. Um, whether he, he can go on and, and continue to do that season after season remains to be seen, obviously, but it's been, a, it's been a brilliant season. I think he's been absolutely fantastic. That he had a little bit of a lull in the middle is only to be expected, and he earned that, I think. And even when he wasn't scoring, he was contributing. He's a player that defences are scared of um, simply because he's he's capable of getting you goals. And um, whether it was what I expected, I think when you spend that much money, you ex- there is a, a level of expectation from a player. Um, so, yeah, to a certain extent. But no, I'm nothing but delighted with, with what he's done. Yeah, I think, when you, as you say, when you spend £35 million on a player, that does come with a certain degree of expectation. And the greatest thing I think that you could say about Alexis is that no one would ever question that price tag. No one would ever think, did they ever pay? Was it worth it? He's absolutely delivered on his billing as a marquee player mm. Imme- immediately as well. I think that's what's most impressive. You know, we're seeing great stuff from Meza Ozil now, but it did take some time for him. Whereas Alexis, with his style of play and his attitude and his sheer physicality at times, was able to step straight into the team and become a key player, you know, from the moment he stepped on the field. And uh, I think I think he has been fantastic, and I think he can get better as well as he integrates with our team play, because if there is a downside to Alexis, it's that he's got that individual streak. He's not always the most fluent in terms of, you know, keeping the ball. And he's, he's got better in that regard over the course of the season. But I think with a, a full preseason behind him, knowing his teammates even more, developing this relationship with Ozil, 
he can get better still. So, yeah, yeah, I think he's been great. All right. Uh, this isn't a question for you so much as uh, other <laughs> listeners. Uh, this comes from at Donkey Adams. We'll just fit this in. Um, he's saying, cheeky question. Could you or your listeners recommend anywhere to watch the Chelsea game in Las Vegas? So if anyone has a, an answer, it's at Donkey Adams, at Donkey Adams, and uh, he, he wants to watch the Chelsea game in Las Vegas. Surely they have them on in all the casinos, you know. I'm sure people will be betting on it, no doubt. Yeah, so there you go. I, I don't know, but I'm not, I've never been to Las Vegas. The only I was experience I, Oh, you were, yeah. I was, but not for an Arsenal game, so I don't know. I had no plans to watch a match there. Right. But I'm sure, I know there are, I know there is a group, possibly on Twitter, called Las Vegas Gooners or something of that ilk, so I'm sure they'll be in touch. Yeah, all right. Uh, and here's another question then. Um, this one comes from at Pasto Baldo, at Pasto okay. Baldo 1, actually, um, because there must have been another Pasto Baldo, which is interesting. Mm. But uh, he says... I have not stopped laughing at Liverpool's result yesterday. <laughs> what is your most amusing moment of the season so far? Oh, great question. I did find yesterday quite funny, I have to say. Just because I I found the whole Gerrard narrative slightly sickly. And so, you know, to see it un- come apart in such a way amused me. Mm. Um, I think Harry Redknapp's resignation and then... saying it was to do with his knees and then returning a couple of months later with claims of a conspiracy at QPR against him was (laughs) was quite funny. Uh, I I had a lot of time for that. Uh, It was just sort of so predictable and so classic red nap. Uh, What about you? Have you got anything? I'm just thinking. Well, I mean, I think the... um, I think the the Steven Gerrard Manchester United thing was was really very funny. Um, having come on at half time as a substitute and uh and then get sent off within within sixty seconds that know. that was pretty extraordinary, yeah, that was hilarious, <laughs> like really genuinely laugh out loud, holy shit, that's just too funny. you couldn't script that, you know, no, I mean, even when we seem to have players sent off with unerring regularity, kind mm-hmm. of in the late nineties, I don't think we managed anything quite so spectacular as that, yeah. I think um I think also the Frank Lampard goal against Chelsea for Man City. Yeah. That was funny too. Like especially his I'm not celebrating this face. That was that was funny. That was good. Uh I mean Danny Welbeck scoring at Old Trafford was pretty funny. That was good. I I enjoyed that. And actually, Louis van Gaal's post-match interview after the Chelsea game this weekend with the BBC is worth a watch. Yeah, if you haven't seen that, it's got to be on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. But man, (laughs) um, that was quite bizarre, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, really strange. He sort of goes into this very, well, I was going to say passive-aggressive, but it's it's mainly aggressive um, mode of answering questions where he just kind of stares out the reporter with his very intimidating flat face it's like an upturned iron and uh yeah it's it's amusing to to watch definitely want to see it. i think he was a little bit annoyed at his former protege jose Mourinho, getting one over him i think he might well have been yeah. uh, because i didn't think you know sometimes a manager can get really annoyed at a question because it's a it's a stupid question but i i don't think there was anything in the line of questioning from the reporter that that merited the response that that Van Hal gave him. I find him 
I have to say, a little bit scary. Mm. Like, I wouldn't like to be alone with him anywhere. <laughs> no, there is something about him that I feel like he... he he looks a bit like a serial killer in my head. Mm. It's something about his hair, I think, as well. He's got this very immaculate hair that's sort of far too good for a man of his own age. Do you know what I mean? It's very well kept. But I think that vanity makes me think that he might be a murderer. So do you think that could be a, a wig? I, look, I'm just putting it out there. Right. It's very suspicious to me. Well, yeah, no, I certainly wouldn't be at all surprised if there was a... a a darkness to his past or even his present, you know. Indeed. And I can sort of set, whenever you look at sort of Ryan Giggs kind of inverted commas celebrating with him on the touchline, you can sense Giggs's <laughs> mistrust of Van Hart. I do think that they've brought in a bit of a lunatic and obviously... Well, you know, Giggs knows all about people who are... Deceptive. Yes. That is the word. And obviously, you know, they've had a lot of success with psychos on the touchline at Old Trafford. <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah, he's an intriguing character. But do check out that interview if, if you haven't seen it. It's definitely worth a watch. Mm. Um, time for one more? Yeah. Why not? Okay. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm literally just scrolling through now. Oh, okay. I quite like this. This is from Drake Guna. Um I hope Tyler. he's recovered from his uh, Madonna experience. Well, let's hope so. And he says, I'm glad it didn't go to penalties on Saturday, but which five Arsenal players, past or present, would you pick for a shootout? OK, good question. Uh, Thierry Henry? Yeah. Lee Dixon? Lee Dixon. Oh, I didn't think of that. OK. Um, Robert Perez? Good choice. This is going to sound a weird one. But every yeah. time I saw him take a penalty, he was really good. Ashley Cole. He was really good. And he was good for England as well. Yeah. Because um, he has no feelings, that's why. Yeah, exactly. No, He's not scared of missing, so he just, like, clumps it into some corner. Yeah, he's very good. Uh, Van Persie took a good penalty too, but... Uh, I'm not going to choose him. So how many have I got now? Four? You've got four. Why? I've got one in my head that I would consider. Um, I think I would take... Let's just say someone from the current team who I'd who I'd feel confident. Santi Cazorla. Strikes a ball well. Yeah. Unless it's in open taker. play, in which case it'll just go over the bar. Yeah. That's <laughs> like so bizarre, shots. isn't it? It's really weird. It's really weird. For a He's... guy of his technique and, and touch and quality, that the, a couple of the chances that he had on on uh, on Saturday against Reading from the positions that he had them in, you're thinking, come on, man. You saw that video, didn't you, with, um, with Monreal, where they were kicking that, like, yeah, yeah. Up and down the gym, and Cazorla's just like, touch, kick, touch, kick. And Monreal's like making it difficult for him, and Cazorla just looks at the ball, and it drops onto his foot, and he kicks it back. And, uh, you know, it's it's weird that, that um, his finishing uh, is, has been so so off this season, apart from, from the penalty spot. Mm. Well, I would go for two that I have that you haven't got. I think I'd have Lauren. Oh, <gasps> yeah. Yeah, but you know what? He'd 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 give you heart attacks. He would, but his penalties are the funniest penalties. They are. That one against Tottenham was was right up there with one of the funniest of all time. Absolutely outrageous. Um, is there anyone we've missed? 
I mean, obviously Dennis Bergkamp can speak his bride's absence for obvious reasons. Uh, I think he swore never to take another one, didn't he, after he did, this yeah. semi-final miss? That's surprising, isn't it, for a guy of like his quality and intelligence and... Um... He knows what he likes. He doesn't, and he doesn't. He knows what he doesn't like, and he doesn't like penalties, and he doesn't like aeroplanes. Yeah, but well, that's true. But you know, you'd think that he'd be able to rationalise it in his head. That, like, hang on a second, I'm fucking Dennis Bergkamp. I'm not just some dude who was called out of the crowd to take a penalty. I'm Dennis Bergkamp, so I will, you know, just score the next one with my well, excellent yeah. feet and quality and everything. I mean, everybody misses. Um, with the even possible even I've missed a penalty from time to time. I find that hard to believe. I know. Uh, <laughs> what did we, I mean, I, I, he doesn't really count. I mean, I suppose we can have past and present. I'd quite like to see Podolsky take a penalty. Did we ever see that? I'm not sure we did. Maybe we did once, but I I don't know. I have a vague recollection of him taking one. I don't know, but don't you'd think that. he'd have a good chance of breaking the net with that kind of run-up, you know? Mm. Yeah, so or, he, or hitting the ball out of the ground. I mean, that's the waddling other... It, waddling it into space, I think, is the uh, official term. Again, I'm, I'm mainly thinking about penalties that I would find amusing to see. Yeah. Um, and I might get might get Kim back, Kim Chelstrom. That was a pretty sweet penalty in the semi-final. Yeah, it certainly the, was. The dead ball specialist. Yeah. Um, so that I'd probably throw them into the mix. But we've... I don't, I don't feel like we've been blessed with like great takers even even some of the ones like van persie who were very good technically you still you know there were still a couple of high profile misses but were there i can't really remember the one i always remember is the milan one do you remember the three nil when we were trying to overturn yeah did he miss a penalty have i made that up yeah it wasn't a penalty it was like uh the keeper came out he tried to do a little dinky thing over the keeper and a little bit too clever for his own good I'm sorry, Robin. I've, I've. Well, I'm not sorry, Robin. At no, all. Never, never apologise. Oh God! What, what have I done? I don't know. I don't know. Let's just pretend he did miss a penalty. Wanker. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> so bottling cunt. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there we go. All right. Well, look. Those are our penalty takers, and uh, that's it for this week's Arscast Extra. Big game coming up this weekend. Now, Chelsea, of course, your uh, your brother. He's. Yes. Uh, you're looking for the. Uh, to complete the set here. Well, that's it. I obviously had the, the joy of beating them. Liverpool, I mean. Indeed. We dismissed the Mug Smashers, and now it's time for my brother. Let's mm. see. I, I mean, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. I think we're going to win. Do you, really? Yeah. I was confident, but Chelsea's the nature of Chelsea's secure position makes me think they will come and just play for a nil-nil, and they're probably very proficient at doing that. Yeah. Yeah, they'll park the bus and try and hit us on the break, etc., etc. But, you know, I think the uh, the couple of goals Alexis will score will be enough. Okay, well, let's hope so. Both assisted by Mesut Ozil. Yeah, lovely. Right. Well, we'll look ahead to that game on the Arscast regular on Friday. And, of course, next Monday uh, we'll be here to discuss everything that happens at the weekend and that fabulous win over Chelsea. So until the next Arscast Extra, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.